Um, okay, so actually, uh, before we start, Mr. Eric, I have a confession to make. So I told you that I wanted to have you on today because, uh, you know, I wanted you to talk about education, how we can educate younger boys to become good men. But the truth is, one of the feedbacks I've gotten is that I need more diversity in the guests I bring into my podcast. And I realize I didn't have a white guy. So yeah, thanks for being my token white guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm used to that. <laughs> I know you were here for like 10 years. It's like a token white guy. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Let's actually awkwardly transition to the episode now. <laughs> Thanks for coming in today. Uh, you're welcome. Feels good to be together with you guys again, like like old time's sake. Yeah, it's been what like six years maybe since like we last caught up, like properly caught up. Yeah, almost. I think I saw each of you like a little bit more recently uh, when you were still in college. Like I caught up with you, Steve, in uh, Jakarta. Must have been 2016. Yeah, and Don, I saw about the same time when he was still in school in San Francisco. But yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. So today I have with me my old economics teacher, uh, Mr. Eric Henry, who was in Indonesia for about 10 years up until like 2015, teaching us like at our school. And today I have John also. Yeah, a fan favorite guest like coming back. <laughs> I bring in the comedy. Yeah, <laughs> he brings in the comedy. And um, I thought like today it'd be great. And like Mr. Eric thought so too, that It'd be great if uh, it can be the three of us in this conversation, right? So we can just talk about old times and talk about how important it is that we had that healthy, like, male role model, like, in our lives and, like, how that shaped us into, like, the men uh, we are today. But to start, so, Mr. Eric, since 2016, what have you been up to? Uh, For a little bit of context that even people who know me probably don't always remember or realize is... I had been teaching in Guatemala for five years and in India for seven years before I came to Indonesia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then I came back to the U.S. in 2015. Uh, my family's here. Um, and also for all those years I had been teaching, you know, all the students like you should make a difference in your country. You should give back to your country. And I realized, OK, someday it's going to be my turn to actually give back to my own country. Mm. But by the time I got back here, I'd been out by uh, for 22 years, which is basically all of my adult life. So I had a lot to learn when I you, came back. You taught in Kerala, right? Sorry. Uh, nearby on the border. I taught in Tamil Nadu, but I could walk right. to the Kerala border. Right. Yeah. Mm. So a bit more context for the listeners. Um, not to build up Mr. Eric too much, because I, I, I think he doesn't like it that much. But um, <laughs> Mr. Eric is actually the one that inspired me to really study economics deeply. He was the one that like ignited my passion for economics. I think a lot of his examples that he gave in class came from a lot of his personal experiences, which is really cool. Um, so it sucks that, you know, current students from our high school didn't get him because it felt like a live case study every time he would bring in an example. Anyway, Steve. <laughs> I was going to say that now, uh, so the job I got here, I'm not actually teaching. So when I came back here, I got a job in SeaTac, which is just south of Seattle near the airport. Mm. And it's in a very low income school, very high diversity. It's a fascinating place. I love it. There's like 80 different languages taught in the school. Mm. Um, But my job is actually a new program that they open for students who um, are not going to graduate because they're missing credits. So I have a bunch of programs, mostly online programs that I can fit them into to get them whatever they need to graduate. And it's supposed to help them, you know, give them a second chance and such so it's quite different than what i was doing the as a regular teacher and sometimes i miss the rush of the classroom teaching yeah Um, i do like the one-on-one time because it's very relational you know i've got to like set up the program everybody's individual i got to find out what they need i've got to kick them motivate them tutor them work with their family whatever it takes you know to to help them out Mm. so um these students that you know need more to catch up Usually, like, why why is that the case? Like, is it, I mean, is it because they came from, like, I know, like, I guess, like, a family background that just didn't support your education or, like, their background's well, fine, but something happened? Or what? Do you, how does it usually work? Well, that's the thing that I kind of like about it is everybody has their own story. 
Mm. Uh, some just, you know, were normal ninth grade boys and school wasn't very important and they failed algebra in ninth grade, right? But they still mm. needed it for graduation. Some of them, um, some of them, they went back to their grandmother's birthday in the Philippines, you know, and they were gone for a month. And by the time they got back, they couldn't catch up in English. I had some students mm. who uh, basically escaped out of Eritrea and ended up in ended up in our high school and all their credits from their high school in Eritrea didn't really like transfer um, oh. to our school. So everyone has a different story, actually, which makes it kind of interesting. Oh, OK. I see. And um, so I just out of curiosity, are most of the students in your program boys? Are there more boys instead of girls? Or is it sort of um, that's actually a really good question. And I didn't didn't go through all the statistics hmm. um, kind of off the top of my head without looking at the data. I think so. I think it's probably skewed more to boys than to girls. Yeah. Mm. And are reading some of the articles nowadays, like I'm noticing I mean, there's all these statistics, right? Like uh, girls are doing better than boys at school. And then I don't know, like the thing I grew up with was that girls mature faster you know than boys and like now we're having more and more women leaders with more women graduating college and things like that like it kind of seems like i don't know our people just aren't doing well or like can't do well or just not putting in the effort <laughs> i don't know what, what's going on here <laughs> uh that's a really multifaceted question like it's got a lot of different angles yeah. i think for me at the individual level it's not very helpful you know to think that way because i have to believe that guys, girls, that they can all be successful. So yep. I don't want to like box them in and say, oh, your guys are less successful than girls. Right. I've seen both be successful, both be unsuccessful. But at the same time, from an education standpoint, yeah, you're right. It does make me go back. I have to go back and evaluate. Is the way I'm teaching or the way we're doing education, is that helpful for boys? Is there something wrong there? Is there something we need to change, you know, systematically that, uh, systemically <laughs> that would, that's, <laughs> going against boys and keep evaluating and reevaluating, you know, is this working for all of our students? But I think that also brings up a whole different question that you guys can help answer. Yeah. I mean, no matter what, like girls are being more successful, right? Like we see that girls are being graduating with uh, higher degrees. They're getting good jobs. Uh, my sister is a great example of this. She's a VP now. She has like hundreds of thousands of employees under her. <laughs> and her husband is a Croatian Bosnian refugee from the war in Bosnia. And he had a hard time even getting a work visa for a long time. So, you know, their dynamics in their marriage has been really difficult because Croatian culture is a very typically masculine role type culture. So then working through that with her being the primary breadwinner, you know, him having to take a lot more of the, you know, get the kids to school type role. You know, it's been a lot of adjustment for them, a lot of uh, compromises and such. And so it's been interesting to walk, watch them walk through that. But I don't know. How about for you guys? Do you think that this changing landscape, would you date or would you marry a girl who is far more successful than you? Does that create any discomfort? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I know you have an episode coming up with Abigail and Maria, and I've been really interested to watch her. But what do you guys have to say about that? Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Um, before that, uh, my sister is also a uh, huge uh, go-getter. She's one of the most um, successful boss ladies I know there, out there. Um, and, and like I know Mr. Erica and my sister are quite close as well. Uh, so I think it just, like in short, I think it goes back to mindset. I remember back in high school, Mr. Eric, I'm not sure if you remember this, but you actually gave me really good advice. I remember I was sort of stressing out because I was comparing myself to my sister a lot, um, to her performance in school, like her grades and like she got into Berkeley, stuff like that. And I remember um, we, we had a one-on-one, -on -one. like, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember you said something along the lines of um, even your sister had troubles fitting her own shoes and you're like trying to fit in her shoes. Um, so it doesn't really make sense because you should set your own pace. Uh, you know, you should carve out what success means to you, what excelling means to you, and you should just, yeah, essentially carve out your own story. So I think it just goes back to mindset, yeah. Um, will I be willing to date or marry someone that's quote unquote more successful than I am? Like, I, I, I would say so. I think success comes in different um, facets, right? Success could mean 
uh, getting a higher paid job, like succeeding in the, in the workforce, but it could, also, it could also mean other things like, um, I don't know, starting your own venture on the side or being a good stay-at-home dad. That's also a huge market <laughs> success, right? Chef John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I picked up cooking since the pandemic. Yeah. So I, I can cook more, more things than just rice or Indomie. So pretty <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my answer in short. What, what about you, Steve? What do you think? Oh, man, <laughs> this is a question that I've been wrestling with for a while, but I think I got some good insights uh, about on it recently. So I think culturally, especially here in Indonesia, the mindset really is still, you know, men need to be the breadwinner of the family. And it's not as like accepted for the wife to be more accomplished than the husband. Right. And I think because that was the culture that where John and I were raised, that was what we grew up thinking. And I mean, even right now, you know, like that's still like the prevalent mindset. But what really helped me think through this is uh, so number one is the movie Crazy Rich Asians. Like I, <laughs> I remember that one scene, you know, where like there's like Astrid and like I think her, her husband was Michael or something. And then she said, it's not my job to make you feel like a man. Like, you know, she's like from a way richer family than he is. And then he's super insecure about it. And then, I mean, that quote, like, it's not a uh, like a wife's job to try to make her husband feel like a man. I mean, that really resonated with me. Like, it's not the, like, the validation of like other people or even my wife that makes me feel like a man. It's something that comes from both myself and something more transcendent than that. But then the second uh, piece of content that really helped me with this is uh, actually John Piper. So he said a really, really good story that, like, I will never forget, I think, for the rest of my life. So there is this guy and this girl in church. They met. They start talking. He initiates and asks her out. And then they go on a date. Now, on that date, he finds out that this girl is a black belt in karate. <laughs> like, she is way tougher than he is. And then on their date, these robbers come in and try to mug them. Give me your wallet. Give me your keys. And, and give, me, give me this girl, too. Now, he knows full well that this girl is a black belt karate and can defend herself just fine. But without any prompt, he just goes in, puts her by him and says, no, like, if you want to get to her, you have to get through me first. And then he get he gets beat up. He gets beat up. And then uh, when, when he, like, regains consciousness, he found out that apparently she beat the robbers up. <laughs> and they're, like, just, like, on the curbside, um, you know, like, unconscious. <laughs> But then um, apparently she took him to the ambulance. And then during that time, like she said to herself, this is the kind of man that I want to marry. So when I look at that story, um, the key takeaways are that the role of like men to protect the woman or like to provide for the woman isn't based on who's better, like certain competencies, whether it be like martial arts or managing money or managing a business or anything like that. It comes from like a God-given like responsibility that's transcendent upon all that. And I think the biggest problem now for me is it's fine to be with someone that's more accomplished than you are. My problem would be that if guys would take that as an excuse to be okay with like mediocrity, like, oh, okay, I can just sort of like leech off my, you know, my wife and, you know, I'll just let her protect me. I'll just let her provide yeah. for me. And like, I don't have to do anything to contribute. That's, I guess, like my biggest problem with it. How, how did your uh, sister's husband sort of like figure all that out? If you don't mind sharing. I, I think it's been a, an adjustment for him and it's been pretty tough, especially with his family because his family's expectations of him when they see him doing the cooking, he's actually a really good cook, no. but they're like, why are you doing the women's work? And so, you know, his image with his family has been something he's had to go through. It's also not totally dependent on him. My sister has had to work pretty hard to make sure I know it's like you said, not her job to make him feel like a man. But it is her, she, well, she has taken it on her job to let him be a man, you know, mm. and, this, and not try to take over too many things and say, this is your role in the family. This is why you are important. This is where you are needed. She's, she's had to compromise and not, you know, and realize where he's at as well. So it's been both of them working together to make it healthy. And I think like anything in any relationship, you know, it takes a lot of work with a lot of missteps, but uh, so far they've navigated it really well. I see. I see. Um, but so, uh, like in your experience, right? Yeah. I, I mean, you mentioned earlier just now about thinking, right. About whether or not our education system, uh, is cohesive, uh, you know, to the, like the development of a like, younger boys to become good men. 
so what what are some of the issues that you've identified so far where maybe like that could that could maybe like cause issues? I'm trying to think where to go with that question. <laughs> um, some of the challenges like in the education system or for boys in general, I think. I mean, all guys, they want to be respected, you know, they want to be successful, they want to fit in, I think, at any age, but especially, you know, younger kids in high school and such, that's really important. So they all have like a real insecurity, and maybe a real fear of failure. Mm. Um, I think a lot of all kids, you know, here and there, they they want to be there for their family and, and such, and they want to be, you know, responsible to their family. So they feel a lot of pressure in that. But I was talking with... Um, a uh, guy, he runs a, a program called Becoming a Man, and it's an explicit program for helping kids, especially in our school, who need that role model. And, you know, we we're comparing some notes and two things that something that came out for both of us was just the need to be able to share how you feel. And even I was talking mm. with a student um, just recently who was going through a really, really dark time and he had disappeared. I, you know, kept calling him. He wouldn't answer. Finally, he came back to school. Um, showed up on the Zoom class again and asked him, you know, what helped you give enough strength to at least come back? And he said, you know, finally, he was brave enough to reach out to someone and share what he was thinking, you know, share how he was feeling and Um, to someone he trusted. And that made the real difference. And I think that's a big problem for guys, too, is we're just not willing to share our feelings uh, like that. Mm. um that's a that's a huge problem for me as well <laughs> i'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah. very i'm not very emotional um <laughs> and uh like i only came to terms with the fact that i need to be more vulnerable just like two two to three years back maybe two years back when you watch instant family you start crying like a baby afterwards <laughs> <laughs> you told the whole church after the- <laughs> uh, anyway um yeah like like my immediate my immediate response to when I'm going through hardship or stress, whether that be at work, in a relationship or, or whatever it is, is to um, just simply bottle it up and like tell myself that like I shouldn't reach out to people, uh, ask for advice or anything like that. I should just handle everything by myself. Um, I'm allowed to swear a little bit, right, Steve? So it's like, it's like, it's like the, the don't be a little bitch mindset uh, <laughs> that I, yeah, that, that I picked up. Um, I don't know when. But yeah, so that, that wasn't sustainable because uh, I just throughout, I mean, it just, it just built up and, and, and eventually took a toll on me and eventually I ended up breaking down anyway. So if I were to turn back time and be more willing to reach out to people, be more willing to share my thoughts, my feelings and be more vulnerable around people, I feel like that would have led to a better outcome entirely. Mm. But Mr. do you think that mindset is more of nature or nurture or both. I don't know whether it's just because like naturally as a guy, like I have a disposition to feel this way, or is it because like the way my environment has raised me that I have, I think this way, what do you think? Maybe give us some insights on how you grew up. And like, oh, I grew up. Yeah. That's a good question. That's yeah. easy. <laughs> I grew up in Montana. Okay. So oh, okay. it's kind of, you know, Western semi cowboy, you know, type country. <laughs> yeah. And if anything, guys were even supposed to be more, you know, macho, not like those sensitive California guys. You know, <laughs> like, oh you know, we don't talk at all. So, one thing I've appreciated about your podcast actually is not even just the content, just especially the episodes where you, Drew, and Steve, you know, you're all sitting around talking and talking about how you're sharing with each other and being vulnerable with each other. Just that model of how you can have friends, how you can open up, how you can share, I think is really valuable. Mm. And then even when I'm listening to you, I'm like, dang, that wasn't me. You know, <laughs> I have just as much trouble and still have trouble like sharing what I'm thinking. And I keep things inside probably more than most people. As far as the nature and nurture, I'm going to guess that it's uh, a lot of nurture, but it's just a guess. I'm not having a degree in anthropology, but I'm thinking some cultures probably teach their boys to be more open. And I'm thinking that our culture can, over time, we can make it more acceptable um, for guys to be more open with their feelings without being, I think one of the biggest things guys have is being judged. I mean, it was me too, is, you know, what are people going to think about us? Kind of like John was saying, are they going to laugh at us? You know, I know when I was even in elementary kids at school, I talked to my parents and my parents were really good parents, but I told them, oh, about this girl. And they're like, oh, the girl. And I'm like, oh, are they laughing at me? And then I never talked about girls <laughs> again, you know, so that fear of being judged. But as 
I think as a culture, we can get better at it. And even if it is part of the nature, we can train both the boys and the people listening, you know, um, mm. to be open to it, to make it a much more open and healthy culture. That's my hope anyway. Mm. I agree. I agree. Um, so disclaimer, I, I love my parents. Um, but I remember first job, uh, my first job was in banking, right? And I remember there was nights that I was stressing out because of, uh, the nature of the job, I, I remember opening up to my parents and the first thing that they said to me was, you know, I, I didn't, we didn't raise a quitter. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, that's, that's right. <laughs> I'm not a quitter. I'm not allowed. To, I'm not allowed to feel sad. All right, let's get back to work. <laughs> Society and like family expectations also play into the mindset of, you know, what it means to be a masculine man, which is why I think, it goes beyond just family, right? Um, maybe your relationship with your buddies, your relationship with your uh, pastor, if you're religious. Um, yeah, could go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, John, you remember when, like, the first episode of Project M, we, we were just like, dude, our Zoom conversations are super entertaining and insightful. You know, I think it'll be funny. Uh, it'll be, you know, people would love to just, like, listen to it as in a podcast format. And then it was completely unscripted. We just like went into it. Um, I don't even have a proper microphone yet. We just literally winged it. And then we listened to it. And it's like, dang, like this is really, really great. And just like seeing guys be vulnerable with each other is such a revolutionary thing. Mm. Unfortunately, it's something that is looked down upon and like judged. And yeah, you know, people say, oh, that means you're not manly or like, oh, you know, that means like you're you're very feminine. And yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. And, and I'm glad we started. I mean, look where, we, where we're at now. <laughs> I'm wondering, uh, yeah, can, can you talk a bit more, Mr. Eric, about, I mean, you said like it's different, different cultures because you've thought, you're, right now you're teaching in like a public school in the US. You've thought in an international school in Indonesia and you've thought in like a lot of different countries. Like, so, and you're, what have you seen so far? Like how are, how do the different cultures like tackle like this, this issue? I think like a lot of the core issues, especially the guys face is the same, at least from what I've noticed in the, in the cultures that I've been, you know, the insecurity, um, fear of failure and fitting in, wanting to be there for your family, you know, even having trouble expressing yourself seems at least in the Latin American, Indian, you know, Indonesian context. And now I have students from all over the world mm. seems to be quite common. Um, the context differs a lot. Like in Indonesia, there was a lot more pressure, I felt like, from families to be someone, to be successful. You know, you have to keep up the family name, yeah. um, which a lot of the students that I'm teaching now, that's not really an issue. The families aren't putting a lot of pressure on them, you know, to be successful in that way. But they do feel a lot of pressure, like to be, especially if they're older, if they're the older sibling, mm. to be there for their younger siblings, to be an example. And they still want to make their parents proud, even if there's not that pressure. So, a lot of the core issues are the same, but how they're expressed in the context is quite different, I think. Mm. Was that something you noticed, like, when you were, like, teaching us, like, in high school? Like, that was the main struggle that people in our demographic in that school were dealing with? Really, like, unrealistic high family expectations? It's one that can could cause some of the biggest pressure, I think, on some students. Um, family Family pressure was definitely a big one. It was really individual. Like, that's why you really have to, like, just listen to each student, you know, and hear what they're saying, because everyone has their own issues. The biggest thing people are always dealing with is relationships, you know, and <laughs> it can be family relationships. It can be girls. It can be friends. You know, that's that's the one that we all care about the most. And it causes yep. us the most drama and the most pain and the most pressure. Mm. So, OK, a little bit on that specific topic. In our uh, Christian international school environment, and I feel like this is a thing that exists, like even in church also, or any Christian community, right? Talking about dating and relationships is confusing because at least the tendency back then for us was like, it's very restrictive, right? Like you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. But then, I mean, I'm sure like this wasn't the effect that like they intended, but it kind of made us go like to an extreme where it became a taboo topic, right? Like we can't talk about like dating relationships or sex or any of those topics because those are like, you know, restricted, like sinful topics. 
I feel like people either then just, you know, avoid the topic completely, don't want to talk about just submit completely, or they go to the other extreme where they then become super promiscuous and, 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 and irresponsible and things like that. Do you think the education system does a good job in like handling that specific thing? I think traditionally, the way education systems have been molded, really aren't that good at that. <laughs> I mean, for a long time, the model of education was a more, you know, just instructional content delivery type um, method, you know, like, here, learn this, take a test on it. But right. when you're really growing as a person, you can't just learn it and take a test on it. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, we even learned that a little bit, Mr. Tristan and I, we, we thought it was important. So we actually started a elective class that we did for a couple semesters on, I don't remember what we called it, it was basically how to be a man, you know, how to grow up and some of these mm-hmm. issues. Yep. And actually, actually, I wasn't that happy with the class. Like, I didn't feel like it had the impact that we had wanted it to have. Okay. I don't know how yeah. the students felt, but but I wasn't that satisfied with it. And part of it, I realized that the, some of these things you just can't learn in a class, you know. Yeah. The only way they're super important, um, but the only way you're going to learn them is through relationship, you know, through being able to express what you're really feeling and what you're really thinking. And then you know, uh, challenge those ideas and grow in them and like that. So I think education has, has got to move to a bit more of a holistic approach to that and away from that just kind of content delivery type system. I know in our school district here, they actually are on the right track. I think their, their model for the school district is that we'll know every student by name, strength, and need. So that's what they put on all their model for everything. And I think that's really the right step is getting to know the students and then Of course, you're going to have to listen to the students to know that. They've done a really good job, especially during the pandemic. The one advantage is we put a lot of emphasis on checking in with every student, doing one-on-ones with every student so that students don't get lost, you know, just disappear off the map. And how are they doing? How are they doing mentally? You know, because this has been a real strain on everybody um, in their mental health and such. So I think our school district has done a good job in that. And I have a great staff in our school and they're really good at this. And I've learned a lot from them as well. So I think that's really the direction education kind of needs to go is, you know, adding in that whole full dimension of a student and not just like, I'm here to teach you. Yeah. I think looking back, a lot of the um, vulnerabilities actually happened outside of the classroom. I remember um, we would all hang out 6 a.m. in your classroom, Mr. Eric, like before, yeah. right before homeroom. Me, yeah, me. coffee time, exactly. Coffee time. Time. <laughs> that's, that's when the candid conversations happen, right? Yeah. Uh, whether it's just like us telling us about like each, each other's weekends or, or um, struggles. I remember like Steve had a couple of one-on-ones with you as well. Um, and it's like random stuff too. Like we kind of talked about relationships. I remember, so this is kind of a goofy memory, but I remember one of the teachers, I'm not going to mention her name, um, she was sort of interested in you <laughs> and I remember like she brought cookies for you or something like that or coffee Mr. so just I don't know, know. okay <laughs> I'm pretty clueless on those things and pretty naive I don't know what's going on <laughs> <laughs> no but, but but I remember like just 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 seeing that made me realize that it's not just me or Steve that's like struggling and maneuvering through like this relationship stuff and like finding the one quote-unquote teacher like Mr. Eric like he 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 struggles with the same thing that we're struggling to. Um, and I felt like I could, I mean, I had the opportunity to observe that outside the classroom when we are in a more casual environment. So I think, I think that's also very important. Connecting with your students, connecting with your teachers outside the regular classroom environment could also go a long way to yeah, your personal development. I think on the flip side of that, for me as a teacher, I, al- I always kept in mind, you know, even when we're having coffee time, you know, even we're having these discussions that, you say, yeah, it was this, oh, you saw me as a teacher. But I think for me, I always was able to see you guys as someday we're going to be here, maybe on a Zoom call in, you know, six years. But someday yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to be here as friends, as fellow adults, you know. And I've got to treat you with the same respect that I would treat you if you're when you're my friend, you know. Right, right. Your yeah. issues may not be the same issues you're going to have in six years, but, you know, we're going to be growing together. And I, I think I always kept in mind, too, that, you know, like, Dang, I'm not perfect. I don't know all the answers. I'm not trying to tell you all the answers. We're here growing together, just like what you said. And uh, yeah. so I always kept that in mind that, you know, I'm not, in fact, I made a lot of mistakes. 
yeah sorry to all those people who are listening who i might have made a mistake with and not, not listened to you well i've given bad <laughs> advice um but you grow i know steve came some i can still remember some conversations we had and he asked me some really good questions i'm like I've spent, you know, like the next 10 years trying to figure out how do you respond to that? Like, you know, like I didn't have all the answers and you guys brought up a lot of good stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I was a curious, well, I'm a curious person in general. Um, <laughs> so here's a, I'm sorry, this might be one, again, one of those really complicated questions. Um, but so that's something I really appreciate about you, right? That you saw us as people that will one day grow to become adults to live life with together and, you know, have all the answers. But I guess to my earlier point about how, you know, the education system maybe not was maybe too restrictive and then let us grow. I, I do want to be careful and also want to address the fact that, I mean, we were high school students. Like we were like these, we just went through puberty. <laughs> It, it is it is completely reasonable to say we didn't know what the heck we were doing. A lot of us like think we know everything, but we really don't. And I don't want to make it sound as if, you know, I'm one of those people that's like, uh, I'm like anti-establishment, like the adults don't know what they're doing. And like, you know, me as like the younger generation, I know best. And, um, you know, they should cater to my needs, right? And I think to those kind of people, some discipline and more restriction is needed, right? Because they need to see that respecting authority is important. I guess, how do you balance that, right? Letting like these teenagers be adults, like and think for themselves and express their opinions, but also not going to the opposite extreme where maybe they might be misled to thinking that they don't need to respect authority. I actually agree with you a lot. And there was something that really bothered me recently. I was watching the Super Bowl mm. and, you know, the Super Bowl commercials are all really, you know, big things. So I was paying attention to all the commercials and there was one by Logitech you know, computer hardware, but the whole gist of their advertisements, the one with Lil Nas singing was that basically this generation is different. This generation is, you know, has to reject all the, their model was, has to reject all the logic from the past. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it left me with a really kind of, I mean, it was a cool slick advertisement and I'm sure it sounded very inspiring to younger people in some ways, but it left me maybe as an old person, as a kind of a bad feeling, like, okay, does that mean I have nothing to share with you? You're just rejecting anything I share? Like, I agree with you completely. There there needs to be that connection between different generations, between, you know, people who've gone through different stages of life. Could be older brother, younger brother, father, son, you know, teacher, student, whatever. But, you know, um, I, was, I was really uncomfortable with that because I think exactly what you say, that that is really important. But I think in that, if it comes across as preaching, I found that anytime I preach or anytime, you know, I talk too much, people just tune out, you know? Mm. And so I think a lot of it for me has been, you know, just even if we went back to our conversations, I'll bet you listen that I probably didn't say that much, you know, letting you talk and then just kind of like work through things yeah, was a lot more helpful, I think, than me trying to tell you and occasionally, occasionally asking the right question or, you know, like guiding is, is, uh, was just help you think, you know, like redirect the thinking. Well, what about this? In fact, this might be relevant. I was just reading a study today and it was like saying, what's the number one factor for raising healthy, intelligent, kind human beings? Like a lot of your listeners are, might either be parents already of young kids or soon to be parents. So this is gonna be interesting. Like what was the number one factor for raising kids who are like healthy, intelligent, high vocabulary, um, and associated with lower incidence of depression, anxiety. Mm. And what this study had found was there was a high correlation with regular family dinners. Mm. Okay. Frequent family dinners together, just where, and I'm guessing it's the same thing what you're talking about, but at a family, you know, level, just having a dinner where you can just express yourself, be heard, you know, um, safely, mm. a safe environment between, you know, and parents can talk to their kids without just lecturing them about their grades or what they need to do, you know, but just everyone can share uh, seems to have a really healthy effect. And so I guess that's kind of the balance. We need that direction. We need that role. We can't just reject all the logic of the past, but you need a safe place to be able to express who you are, what you're dealing with, what your questions are, and to work them out together. Mm, got it. Minimize screen time as well. I, <laughs> yeah, I that if, you guys, if you guys seen a uh, social dilemma, but yeah, yeah, I think it really affects the, the attention spans of, of the younger generation, right? Yeah, I um actually heard like you're not supposed to let your kids even watch TV until they're at least like three years old or something like that. 
I, I know now for at least with like a lot of my friends are already parents. Like it's like, oh, baby's crying. Uh, uh, iPhone here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. Like, do, do you think that's that's a because like the reality is right now it's getting it's more become more and more part of our lives, right? And I mean, it's easy for me to like make fun of my my friends or parents right now, but I mean, you know, John, when maybe we have kids or. Do do you think it'll still be possible to minimize screen time? I think like yeah, like an, before that, like another another interesting mm. um, example. So I had a couple of couple of months back, I had my little niece over mm. um, for Christmas, and I remember I had a an old The Economist magazine lying around. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she, was, she was holding on to it, but she didn't open the magazine. She like it, it, was, it was so strange. She started like pressing on on the on the next. <laughs> as if it's like oh. a tablet as if it's a tablet i'm like what the heck <laughs> this is a magazine um oh, snap <laughs> mind-blowing but to answer your question I, I think it goes back to the parents steve um i don't think we should be slaves to technology yeah i think we should i mean if we become parents one day not be afraid to implement ground rules like dinner time as mr eric pointed out correctly is a valuable time for us to connect right Mm-hmm. Um, so like we should really optimize on the conversations and put our phones away for just for dinner time so we can actually focus on the conversations so it's establishing ground rules is something that we have to do I feel mm. yeah and I think I think the whole you know quote unquote okay boomer <laughs> statement <laughs> these days that a lot of the kids including my little brother um, <laughs> have been using is not is not is not constructive at all, right? Because yeah, there's a lot that we could learn from our uh, our parents, our older uh, older uh, peers as well. So I feel like that's not as valued as it was back then these days for the for the younger kids, which is completely it's it's, it's a big mistake in my opinion. I see my sister because her kids are just they're in elementary school now and just hitting middle school. Yeah, and that that has been a big struggle for them the screen time. Yeah. And such, yeah. you know, and how to manage that. And you're not going to get rid of it. Like it's too much a part of our life, but to how to manage it responsibly. But for me, as a dealing with more with high schoolers, it's not the technology that I worry so much about or even the screen time, but it's when that's causing people to get away from social relationships, when that's become mm-hmm. a substitute or a way of withdrawing and they're no longer going out and spending time with their friends, you know, and just hanging out or having those conversations because they're just hanging out watching YouTube videos, you know, if they're using it to connect with people, that's different. But so I don't see technology as the enemy in itself, but it just has to be managed responsibly and, and has to be healthy and to find that balance. Yeah. I mean, I'm thankful we can use zoom now, you know, to connect and, you know, record this episode. But I, yeah, I think it's a lot tougher now because right now, like going out to meet your friends isn't an option for for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, um, but but the interesting thing is now now we're like getting older. We're like in our mid twenties, and then now we're starting to feel that like, oh my gosh, these little kids that can't even like read a book anymore. You know, they're they're using <laughs> the iPads, and I'm sure in like twenty years we'll be the you know in twenty years then like the generation will be like okay Gen Yers, <laughs> you know, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And it's only then that we realize like, wow, like I'm actually not surprised that, you know, maybe because of that, then the older generation does end up resorting, you know, to more like, I guess, you know, restrictive and forceful like tactics, right, to to try to still educate the younger generation. I feel like it's coming from like a good place. But because of, I guess, like wrongdoings on both sides, like it gets like misconstrued. And I think, yeah, I think from the younger generation, like they have, they have to be able to learn that the older generation does have something to contribute, but then from like the older generation, they have to know that they need to be able to let the younger generation think for themselves and figure things out for themselves. It needs to be like a two-way thing. Like, I feel like we all, we're always very one-sided with this where we blame like, okay, it's because of like the boomers or like, oh, it's because of like the Gen Zs and, and stuff like that. I think one difference is uh, along with that, this a big difference between Indonesia and the United States that I've noticed Mm. Um, was it in Indonesia it was a lot easier to have relationships like with you guys just open up a little coffee and you'd come and chat you know and mm. hang out between class but in the U.S. it's a lot harder to get to know students it's a lot harder to build that trust I don't know if they've just been hurt by adults a lot more 
Mm. Um, or if it's just not the culture to be, you know, friends with your teachers or, you know, talk to your teachers, but it takes a lot of work, a lot more work here to really get to know the students and to get them to trust you and one mistake. And you can ruin that whole trust in a, in a minute. But one thing I'm also doing at the same time, um, is coaching. And I really like the coaching relationship because when you're coaching a sport, that's one place where, you know, your players still do listen to you and it's more natural to listen to you. And so that relationship, I really enjoy too. And I've, I've always enjoyed that relationship because it just creates a natural bond and it's a lot more easier to share together and to grow together um, in that way because people are more willing to listen to a coach than they would be, say, just any old adult or te- even a teacher. Ah, that's interesting because um, I don't know if you see it this way too, John, but I thought that that culture of being friends to a teacher was like a Western thing. Yeah, I thought, I thought so too initially. No, I think definitely, definitely not. In fact, people sometimes see it weird. Like if they, if I tell them I was getting together with some of my students and going out and, you know, they're graduating, I'm going to go out to have dinner, like say with your sister. And mm. when she comes to Seattle and I'm going to go out, people are like, huh? <laughs> you know, you're still having, why, why are you having dinner with your student? Or they might ask her, you know, like you're oh, having wow. dinner with your teacher. Like huh. it's kind of strange, isn't it? Huh. Oh, yeah. Wait, this is even for like, uh, like alumni, like students that have already graduated. Like it applies. I there think- yeah, I think so. Huh. Um, in America, it's just a little strange to still be friends with your teachers. Maybe I could be wrong. You know, like I'm, I haven't been in America that long, so I'm still learning. But that's that's <laughs> that's the impression that I have now. Mm, I see. I see. I, I guess um, sort of to wrap things up, I guess my final question would be like, so how do we actually go about being able to walk alongside people and dealing with their problems, right? I think that's like the key here because I don't know, John, if you can relate to this, but at least I back then in our environment, there wasn't a safe space for us to be able to express our opinions, right? If we said anything that was against like the status quo, you know, as like these like 16, 17 year old boys, then we would be judged. We would, we might get the tension. Um, yeah. We might be, you know, looked down upon. And a lot of like the authority, uh, you know, is very dismissive, right? It's like, you know, well, you just have to think this way or this is like the right way to do things. Um, but then, Mr. Eric, you were always super welcoming at 6 a.m. in the morning, you know, opening up your classroom, letting us sit in your couch, letting me make coffee in your coffee machine, sometimes giving me caffeine pills. uh (laughs) but but most importantly just letting us like express whatever thoughts we have even if they might be like taboo or things that we might not be comfortable talking with other people and yeah again like not telling us like this is right this is wrong but really walking with us like throughout our problems letting us think for ourselves and driving us to the right conclusion because it's hard to do this right it's so much easier when someone talks to you about their problems to just be like oh okay this is the right way to do it especially if depending on the power dynamics if you're a teacher if you're older then the tendency for you to be dismissive is is even bigger right so how should we actually like counsel people and like how do we actually walk with them through their problems well uh one thing i like about this podcast Mm. um is I know you've described it at times in your podcast as a passion project you know as just something you did because of the pandemic but in some of your posts too, you can see that there's a real heart. There's a real heart in it. You know, you have a mission in it. You you want to share with other people that these conversations that have been valuable for you guys, you want to share those with other people. And I see you guys as when you perhaps get even a little bit older, a little more established, you know, that same heart as reaching, wanting to reach out, you know, to, to other people, both your own age and to then the, the younger kids as well. And yeah. Mm. Uh, so I really enjoyed that or I really appreciate that about your podcast is there's um, there's a real heart to it and a real intentionality to it and I think that's what we need is people who are just willing to do it and I think people get stuck because they think I'm not good enough you know I'm not trained in this I'm not uh, you know I'm gonna mess up and all that's true Mm. (laughs) you're not trained in it you're not good at it and probably anyone who's talked to me very much knows I mess up a lot and there's a lot of times I've come home and thought, I should just shut up. I should just not talk with them. I'm probably going to do more harm than good sometimes. Sometimes I feel mm-hmm. like that, you know, but you just got to keep trying, keep going, going at it um, and being willing to make mistakes, being willing to be even vulnerable yourself in that, even in reaching out. Um, and the key that you just said is it's hard. And there's no doubt 
reaching out, especially if you're going to reach out to teenagers, like what you're yeah. saying at that age, that's just yeah. going to be hard. Um, they're going to run away, you know, cause it's uncomfortable. It's awkward for everyone. They're going to run away. And a lot of times I've, especially with guys, I have to say one of my biggest almost regrets or sometimes is sometimes I've let them run away. Girls are easier mm -hmm. because I don't know, they're more conversive, they're more relational. So it's easier to keep in touch. Um, sometimes I've let guys get out of touch um, and you, I've realized you just got to keep at it. And at the same time, then there's a lot of really good resources if you're looking for them out there on, you know, like how to be there, what, what to say, how, to, especially how to listen, you know, how to listen, how to listen well. So there are resources. So you're, it's hard and you're going to mess up, but it's something you can train yourself into to be better. And I feel like I've been intentionally working at this and I've still got so far, so much more to go, but then I think, okay, if I've messed up a lot in, uh, in all the last 20 years, I've still got 20 more years, you know, that I can be better at it. So I'll keep mm -hmm. going. But so that intentionality to just keep at it, right? Especially with guys who don't want to uh, converse, like how do you go about doing that well and like effectively? Yeah, that it's a tough balance because, you know, people withdraw, they're uncomfortable. So you want to let them know you're there, but you don't want to crowd in their space. If you don't give them exactly. space, then they'll run farther. So you got to let them know that you're always there. Keep reaching out, keep texting, keep with guys. Sometimes it's easier, like just show up at their games, you know, mm. they're going to be somewhere like, I'm here for you, you know, uh, find safe places. Like, like we were talking about sports is often a very safe place to start because we can chat about sports, you know, or something else that they're interested in. You know, you can, you can start there and build up those relationships on something that's comfortable for them. And then, you know, guys, we don't usually just sit down. Girls, girls can just sit down and say, here's my problem with my parents. Here's my problem with the relationships and blah, blah, blah. It just all comes out with guys. It rarely happens like that. You know, it's more like, let's talk about this, you know, how's golf, you know, <laughs> and maybe while we're playing golf or for me, like when we're out shooting hoops or we're, you know, sitting around coffee, more stuff comes out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And sure. the other problem with being intentional is the stuff. Sometimes that stuff comes out at a time you weren't expecting. You don't get to script it, you know? Right. It's not a, it's not a time that oh this is when we're going to talk deep you know suddenly this somebody gets deep and dang i was not ready for this so you just got to be super intentional and be ready at any time okay okay let's just deal with this now you know wow that's big <laughs> ask another question you know like that mm. give steve a cup of coffee and he's an open book <laughs> <laughs> key takeaway <laughs> oh man <laughs> it sounds like i'm so easy to please <laughs> <laughs> for some people for some people it's like alcohol right but for steve uh -huh. give him like a i don't know, like a piccolo or a cappuccino <laughs> you're good oh <laughs> yeah but john how about you do, do you have any thoughts on that like how do you think we can actually go about walking with people through their problems well i think i agree with everything mr eric said i think um the fact that i mean going back to this the, the idea of this podcast right not a lot of people have been talking about these type of topics especially in indo so um taking a project on like this steve really opens up the possibilities for other guys not, not maybe not the possibilities but but the reality that we should be okay with opening up we should be okay with addressing our feelings and um, expressing our anxieties so like it has to start somewhere and hopefully um like i i am super optimistic hopefully that this podcast would branch out to other projects for other people as well Mm. And like all together, we'll just see a better society in, in, in Indo for for men and uh, masculinity as a whole. That's that. Those are my hopes. Yeah. Yep. Um, to all the high schoolers or students listening, grab coffee with your teachers and professors. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> you never know uh, who of your teachers can end up becoming maybe lifelong friends in the future. And, and I think it just goes to show that. Uh, it is important for us to have a good, positive male role model in our lives, right? Um, as as boys or even as a younger men, because um, I think one of the bigger issues right now is yeah, because of, like more divorces and then like more boys like growing up in like fatherless like homes and not not having an environment that's a like, conducive uh, to their development, and that's why you know all like our masculinity gets taken to a toxic extreme, right? Where we're so like over obsessed over our ego and control that. We, you know, we can't be compassionate. We don't listen and we just rebel uh, all the time. Do, do, do you think, um, yeah, Mr. Eric, do you see that maybe uh, in your experience? Like, 
I guess like the boys that maybe grew up without a father, without a good male role model, like that's why they, they start behaving this way. I mean, definitely that's an issue. And especially where I'm teaching now. Well, in Indonesia, there was a lot more cases of fathers who were kind of checked out. You know, mm. they just weren't really active other than yelling at, you know, their kids about their grades or about what they're going to do in life. But they weren't very active in their life in that way. And here in America, or at least in my context, there's a lot more kids who just don't have a father or a father figure at all, you know, or even adult figure. Um, but it comes out about the same. So, yeah, that that is an issue. I think going back to what you're saying, like it also something for your listeners, when you're challenging your listeners, you're challenging the high schoolers, but no matter who you are, whether you're Indonesian or American or high school or your age or my age, I think one of the big valuable things that's coming out of this podcast is just, just practice being vulnerable, just be vulnerable mm -hmm. to someone. And that's as hard for me as it probably is for any high schooler. You know, I still get in sweats. I'm super introverted actually. And <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't share it with anyone. So just making even a small step to be vulnerable with someone I've found can be super valuable, but super hard. So yeah. I think that's a challenge, you know, wherever you are in whatever stage. And I think if your podcast leads to anybody just reaching out and being a little more vulnerable with anyone, you know, that they trust, then this, this podcast will be well worth it. All right. Yep. Yeah, Mr. Eric. So hopefully, uh, I don't know when like with the situation, maybe, you know, hopefully we can see you again someday and have coffee again and have more you know, deep conversations in person. Yeah. But until then, uh, stay safe and keep doing what you're doing. I think the stuff you're doing right now with uh, helping out these kids is really, really awesome. And I'm sure a lot of them are really, really thankful for it too. We will. We will get together again. Don't worry. Maybe with your kids. <laughs> Maybe when we're talking when your kids are going through high school and you're like, wait, how do I deal with my high school? <laughs> We've already been, you know, together, what, 15 years, actually, yeah. for a long time. And uh, I'm sure 15 years from now, we'll still be connecting. So Via holograms. <laughs> Via holograms, exactly. <laughs> we're going to complain that our kids are, you know, they're spending too much time in virtual reality. We just, you know, <laughs> we get, how can we get them in real life more? <laughs> that's interesting yeah yeah all right well we'll uh cross that bridge when we get there thanks guys <laughs> well, this has been so much fun because it brings back all those coffee morning vibes and makes me feel you know just a good warm feeling to be with you guys again same here sir likewise likewise yeah <laughs>